Gabriel Jesus returns to action overnight. Martin Odegaard's back in training at London Coney and the Premier League clubs vote on loan deals. All of that plus more on today's episode of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to another live edition of the podcast with me, Harry Simeon, joining you on this Wednesday morning. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Hope you're all good. Hope you're all well. Um, hope you're over the international football, which has been wrapped up now. It's all attention back on the Premier League. And of course, the Gunners travel to Brentford this weekend. We'll be previewing that game uh, in a lot more depth, in a lot more detail a little bit later on in the week. So I'll save that uh, for then. But yeah, um, we've got plenty to unpack, as we always seem to have, even when it's an international break. It's just the way football is now. There's so much football, there's so much news, there's so much information, there's so much access that you end up in a place where there just is never a a sort of dry supply of content. So um, on this episode, we're going to talk about Gabriel Jesus's return. I knew that he was in line to play some part. There were suggestions that he was in line to start, but did I think he'd play 90 minutes? No, I didn't. We'll get into whether that's a good uh, or a bad thing. Uh, We're also going to talk about Martin Odegaard, who uh, returned to training yesterday at London Coney, which is obviously positive news as well. And we'll talk about the vote that the Premier League clubs took um, to allow, for now anyway, uh, for the time being, loan deals between associated clubs, which opens the door for the like Newcastle, should they wish uh, to do so, um, to sign Ruben Neves, who plays for a club that is also owned by the Saudi Private Investment Fund. What do you make of that? We'll get into that uh, in a little bit more detail later on as well. But we're going to start off with that feisty encounter in South America overnight, which I caught some of, uh, not all of, because it was uh, it was pretty late. Um, but we'll get into that and we'll talk about Gabriel Jesus, Gabriel Magalhaes, who also played, and Gabriel Martinelli. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> Okay, so Gabriel Jesus played 90 minutes for Brazil overnight in their through in their one nil defeat. I nearly said three one. I don't know why their one nil defeat uh, to Argentina. Good or bad thing? We'll get into that in just a minute. We're going to talk about whether or not he is uh, ready to face Brentford. It is uh, worth starting off though with the unsavoury scenes before the game. Um, Now we we saw in the Copa Libertadores final that there was a bit of a bit of trouble. There was a bit of aggro between uh, some of the Argentinian supporters that were there and the Brazilian police. And that seemed to continue on uh, into events last night at the Maracanã. And, you know, it's not what you want to see before a game. And it ended up leading to the game being delayed by 30 minutes. So what exactly happened? Not sure what triggered it. Not sure exactly what started it. But Brazilian police were clashing uh, with some of the Argentinian fans in attendance. And there's some disturbing, to put it in in the right way, videos going around of, you know, Brazilian police handing batons over to Brazilian fans, almost as if to say, go on then, uh, go for them. So I can only assume that the, the issue began, the confrontation began between the two sets of supporters. The police went in really, really heavy handed. And this didn't go unnoticed uh, by those on the pitch. Now, the Argentina players uh, realised this was going on. They made their way over to behind the goal where this was taking place. And there's videos of uh, Emmy Martinez trying to sort of jump up and push people out of the way because he can see uh, that some of the Argentine supporters are getting beaten and and he clearly uh, didn't like that. Lionel Messi took the decision that 
um, in order for this to stop, in order for this situation to calm down. The best thing to do was to take his players off of the pitch. And he was confronted by Rodrigo. Um, and from what we're reading and from what we understand, Rodrigo said something along the lines of, you cowards. Uh, Lionel Messi apparently responded with a comment along the lines of, allegedly, again, we're the world champions. How can we be cowards? Um, and, and the whole thing just escalated. Eventually, it all calmed down. And, um, you know, things improved and the game was able to go ahead. But as I mentioned, it went ahead 30 minutes later than planned. Uh, so, yeah, um, not um, not great. The game itself wasn't great either. Um, I saw about an hour of it. I've read loads of reports on it. Um, I've watched the, the highlights, of course, this morning as well. What was apparent to me that it was a, was that it was a very, very physical contest, a very combative game. That's what you expect from, from Brazil-Argentina, right? And that's why I said I wasn't sure if this was the right game for Gabriel Jesus to come back into the fray. He did, and he played the entire 90 minutes. Now, fingers crossed, because from what I could see with the eye test, it looked as though he came off with no problems. It looked as though he got through the game unscathed, which is, of course, positive news. And there's two ways of looking at this. Just like I said, there were two ways of looking at, um, you know, whether or not, him being called up was a good or bad thing. It's clear now that he, if not 100% ready, is close to being ready to play in 90 minutes of football. I think Brazil pushed him a little bit far yesterday because of the result, because of the lack of alternative options um, and all the rest of it. Uh, but I think that, um, yeah, I think that it's a positive in, in the sense of Gabriel Jesus has been out injured. He's been able to get through 90 minutes. And as far as we can see, he's unscathed. And obviously, the fact that he's got those minutes under his belt and in the tank, it means that we're in better shape um, in terms of sort of looking at him as an individual and when he'll be ready to come back. It's not like, oh, he needs 60 minutes because he hasn't played any football. It's not like he needs 70 minutes because he's played no football. It's not like he needs 45. He has 90 in the tank, which is a step in the right direction. But I would still be, and we'll talk about this in a lot more detail when we uh, preview the Brentford game, I would still be reluctant to throw him in from the start at the GTEC at the weekend because, you know, I, I don't know that he can handle two games like that in the space of a week. Factor in the travel as well, um, factor in the need to recover, and obviously recovery takes longer when you've been out of the game for a little bit of time. But, you know, they probably are going to get back to London Colney. I don't think they'll report in until Friday probably depending on the flight times and, and the journeys and all the rest of it. So, you know, I just I just worry about overloading him because of how frequently he's breaking down at the moment, because of his importance to our team. I don't know that I'd be taking crazy risks. Um, Leandro Trossard's doing fine in that position at the moment. Scored a goal um, over the international break for Belgium as well. Um, looked in good form from, from sort of the snippets and the highlights I saw. So, uh, yeah, I'd be happy for him to continue. And if you bring Jesus on later in the game, then fine, happy days. But just be cautious um, would be my approach with him because, you know, we all felt uneasy and uncomfortable at the fact that Brazil were seemingly rushing him back. I certainly didn't think he'd play 90 minutes. He did, but let's not push it. Let's not take the P here. Let's, um, you know, let's let's manage him in the right way possible. Um, other Arsenal players that were involved, Gabriel Magalhaes, of course, uh, played at the back. And again, you know, for the second game running, I've read reports this morning. I've read reaction online from Brazilian fans criticising his performance. He's been labelled as boneheaded, rash, 
things that, as I said last time, we've labelled him and called him in the past. But I certainly think there's been an improvement in Gabriel Magalhaes. And if there wasn't, he wouldn't be one of the first names on the Brazilian team sheet at the moment. Maybe he just hasn't got that same connection um, in the national team as he does with William Saliba at this moment in time. And maybe that shows him in a slightly different light. But you know what? To the Brazilian fans that are slaughtering him, that are slating him, if you don't want to use him, no problem whatsoever. Send him back to us and that's just fine with me. Gabriel Martinelli played two, um, missed a decent enough uh, opportunity um, when uh, uh, there was some great play from Gabriel uh, Jesus as well. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, unlucky probably not to score. One of the most lively players, I would argue, in the Brazilian side last night. And um, again, not ideal that he had to play close to 80 minutes, but it is what it is. And um, hopefully they both come back fine, fit and ready for the weekend, especially Gabriel at centre-back and Martinelli. Jesus, as I've said, I think we can we can get by without uh, at this moment in time. But I think we need Martinelli even more so in, in Jesus's absence if we're not going to risk him. And uh, we certainly need Gabriel at the back alongside uh, William Saliba. I trust Jakob Kivior. You know, I think if he had to come in, I think that'd be fine. I think if Tommy Asu had to come in, that would be fine too at centre-back. But, you know, I prefer to have our first choice pairing uh, going away to Brentford, who have turned a bit of a corner uh, since we last played them, of course, in the League Cup. Um, so that's the uh, the download from uh, our Brazilian uh, contingent, who, of course, uh, played in that game, a historic defeat for Brazil. I think it was their first home World Cup qualification defeat since 1954. Um, what a record that is to hold, by the way, but then to lose it must be bitterly disappointing. And somebody asked me the question yesterday of, well, when they go and play for Brazil and they lose, or anyone in the Arsenal makeup for that matter, goes abroad, plays a game for their national team, doesn't quite go the way they wanted. Take Martin Odegaard as a recent example, when Norway realised that they weren't going to qualify for the European Championships. Does that have an impact? Does that give you a bit of a hangover as a player when you return? And can that have a negative effect? Quite possibly. Um, I'm hoping that's not the case with these guys. I'm hoping that Mikel Arteta is going to be able to, um, you know, just get them focused again. You know, they are professionals. They've shown that they've been able to do that repeatedly throughout their Arsenal careers so far, sort of refocus, recalibrate. But for the likes of Gabriel, uh, the centre-back, of course, and Gabriel Martinelli. The experience of having to juggle international football and club football is still relatively fresh and relatively new. So I think they're going to need a bit of support and guidance. And that's where, you know, we've got the likes of Jorginho in the squad who, you know, missed another penalty for Italy over the course of the international break, but has been there, done it, has been able to switch from club football to international football, get out of that mindset and back into the one that he needs to be. Gabriel Jesus, a very experienced international too, uh, among others within the squad. Those guys need to help them, I think, in terms of getting their mindset right. Because I do have a little bit um, of a, uh, a concern about that. But anyway, um, that's it for the from the Brazilians uh, side of things. Uh, we're going to turn our attention to the return of our captain, Martin Odegaard, who was back in training at London Coney yesterday. <laughs> Yes, that's right. Martin Odegaard was pictured back in training at London Coney yesterday, which is obviously very, very positive news. Now, we learned that he was out uh, for a period of time due to a concussion and the lasting effects of that. Didn't go, of course, on international duty, which is a good thing, um, given where he was at. Um, and I'm pleased that he was back in training 
from yesterday because obviously that was Tuesday. You've got Wednesday session, Thursday session, Friday session, which means that you should be, in theory, able to get yourself up to speed to at least play a part uh, at Brentford at the weekend. And again, you know, depending on the nature of the problem, you know, which we understand was was some sort of concussion and, and the lasting effects of that. I'm hoping that he can kind of dust it off, shake it off and, and get back into the game. And that if he was able to keep himself fit, at least during that period or, or relatively fit, he's, a, he's generally a very fit player, Martin Odegaard, then he can play some part. Again, would you rush him back? I think that's one for the medical staff to decide. They obviously um, know and understand uh, a lot better uh, what exactly the problem was and how that needs to be managed. But I think we've missed his creativity. I think his, his form clearly dipped just before he went out injured. Uh, but hopefully this has given him an opportunity to reset a little bit and get back to the Martin Odegaard that we all know he can be. Because when he is fit and firing and on song, he's a wonderful, wonderful player. And uh, and we could do with him coming into uh, what's going to be a difficult period in terms of the fixtures and all the rest of it. Plus, remember, of course, um, you know, the you've got the Champions League games and you've got Fabio Vieira who is uh, suspended due to that absolute nonsense of a challenge uh, that he made in the game against Burnley just before the international break. So Martin Odegaard's back, which is obviously a positive. And our final story before we dip into the comments and get some of your thoughts. Uh, The Premier League clubs have voted on a deal uh, that allows uh, associated clubs to loan between one another, at least temporarily, until some new laws and rulings are drawn up on this. Um, I- I've got quite strong feelings about this. I-, I really, really do. Now, we knew that the vote was yesterday. Um, I thought that actually there were enough clubs in the Premier League that would um, that would sort of veto this, that it's not in their interest for this to be allowed, that aren't under... Uh, multi-club models. But of course, you need a hell of a lot of votes, don't you, to be able to get something through uh, like this. You know, only 12 of the clubs voted against it. Eight of the clubs voted for it. And when you see the list that's been put out, and again, this is just a reported list. Um, I've got no clarification or confirmation on this. But when you look at the the clubs that voted in favour of this being allowed to continue, at least for the time being, you won't be surprised. Now, the clubs that are um, listed as the ones that allegedly voted for this, Sheffield United, part owned um, by the Saudis, Manchester City, part of a multi-club uh, model, uh, Chelsea, you know, I'm not, I, I don't think that Todd Bowley off the top of my head has got any other clubs, but I'm sure that's something that Chelsea will be looking at, maybe moving into further down the line. I was a little bit surprised that Wolves were among them. I was a little bit surprised that Burnley were among them. Um, Everton, no, because the those that are in line to complete the takeover, the 777 group, whatever they're called, they've got other clubs as well. And Nottingham Forest, you know, Evangelos Marinagis, who owns Nottingham Forest, is also the owner of Olympiacos. So I wasn't surprised uh, by those, uh, with the exception of just two clubs. But those are the clubs that have allegedly voted for this to continue and are happy for this to continue. And I just think this is a decision that shouldn't be made by clubs. I think this is a decision that needs to be made by the footballing authorities. I think FIFA should make this decision and I think it should be pushed down onto every other single league in the world so that we get a level and fair playing field. Now, some will disagree with that. Some will say, well, FIFA are this, FIFA are that. And I get where they're coming from. 
But this just for me is a decision that needs to be taken and should be taken by one of football's governing bodies rather than clubs. Because when you put it to clubs, people are going to vote solely in their own interests. And unfortunately, there are so many clubs nowadays in the Premier League that are part of these multi-ownership models that this was always going to happen. Either, you know, these decisions need to be taken by different people or for me, um, then we need to see maybe, uh, you know, I don't know, a, a different threshold in terms of how many votes you need to block something in comparison to what it is now. I think at the moment you need, what, 14 votes, 14 or 13 votes um, to get something through or, or to block something. You need eight, seven, whatever it is. It, it just, yeah, I, I just don't like it. I just don't like it. You know, if you're part of one of these models, one of these ownership models, then you're going to vote to allow it to happen because it's in your your interest. If you're not, then you're going to vote against it because it's in your interest. Now, from what we understand and from what we know, Arsenal voted to block this. Now, the Cronkies own the Colorado Rapids. They do own another football club, KSE. So you could argue that it might have been in their interest to vote for this as well. But, you know, I just, I'm glad they didn't because I don't think this is fair and I don't like the way, um, you know, this, this goes. The Premier League... I mean, it's getting worse and worse for me in terms of, um, you know, just the integrity of it. The, the You know, when we're talking about officials one week and we're talking about votes like this the next week, it just feels like it's drama, drama, drama. And none of it um, is uh, is particularly uh, positive in my eyes. And, and you're right, Gaz, to point out in the chat that we did find out that Chelsea have links to the Saudis as well. And Fuad's right to point out that Strasbourg are affiliated as well. I totally forgot about that one. But, you know, lots of you guys um, are in the chat laying out what clubs are linked with who and um, and all the rest of it. So, um, yeah, it just goes to show, doesn't it, that this is something that's been skewed. This is something that was never going to be blocked because there are just enough clubs in that space at the moment for these things to happen and for these things to get through. But anyway, um, that's enough of a moan about that. Let's get a few of your questions, a few of your thoughts in the live chat box, if you've got any, um, and I'll pick up a couple of those uh, before um, I uh, I disappear. I'm in the Nightingale's uh, offices today, um, got a few meetings, got a few bits and pieces to be getting on with, but I thought I'd get this out for you guys nice and early in the day. Don't worry, from tomorrow, we turn our attentions back to club football and I can't bloody wait. I'm going to take a short pause and then we're going to dive into the comments. Don't go anywhere. Okay, uh, let's see uh, what you guys are saying. Gaz says that FIFA won't get involved because they're growing close to Saudi money. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. You know that you've got the World Cup that's going to be held in, in Saudi Arabia. You've got um, the sort of blossoming relationship between um you know the fifa heads and and the sort of middle eastern countries at the moment and listen i'm all for football being spread across the world i don't i'm not one of those people that sits there and goes well saudi arabia has a different religion to us so we shouldn't allow them to do football basically you know which you know, you. I know there's people that don't want it to go there for good reasons and for valid reasons, and I agree with a lot of those reasons. But I do think there's a bit of a there's a bit of a snobbery sometimes from the, the European football world. I mean, you look at 
World Cups when they go to South America and you go, well, South America lives and breathes football, so that's okay. When we try to take it into different territories, you do get that snobbery. And a lot of it is down to underlying racism. You have to say that. Like, it, it does exist. It is a thing. Um, but, you know, it's got to be for the right reasons. And it's got to be for reasons that go beyond uh, just the green of the dollar, basically, which is what it feels like is dictating things here and leading the way. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to have to wait and see, um, you know, how this whole situation develops. But I think the horse has already bolted. Like, you're going to see a World Cup in Saudi Arabia. You're going to see Club World Championships held in Saudi Arabia. You're going to see the Middle East, I think, play a far more prominent part um, in, in the football sort of landscape going forward. And, and as I say, again, nothing against that as a principle. I, I just think that, you know, it's got to be done in the right way. And I think that there are other issues that do need to be addressed. And um, and actually, I kind of agree with Gary Neville when he said that if you don't have these dialogues, then you've got even less chance of changing the stuff that does need changing. And um, and yeah, but that change has to be taken up as well. And um, and that's that's the big question, isn't it? Um, that's the big question. Uh, what else have we got? Um, Diogene says, are people aware that the economics of most football clubs in most countries are in a dire state? Hence, hence rich people buy smaller clubs who could otherwise be bankrupt. We as fans contribute to that. Yeah, I mean, the overall um, the overall concept of multi-club ownership is not really an issue for me. Um, like, for example, if you own, let's take Arsenal as an example. If you're KSE and you own Arsenal and then you own the Colorado Rapids, there isn't really much crossover, is there? Like, there isn't that there's hardly any crossover in fact the mls is a totally different animal different rules different regulations distance wise they, they they're worlds apart they're on different continents you're not going to get those um clashes or or uh, conflicts of interest that you might get in other situations but then you look at like clubs like man city and the way they're doing it right so they can use some of their other clubs to send players out on loan to develop them, which increases their value. But they've they've got this ability to do that because they have a, a platform to send those players onto to grow and develop, playing in another competitive league on the continent. You could be exposed to European football playing for some of those clubs. So that is more of an advantage, I would argue. But again, even that, I don't massively disagree with that idea. Like, I'm not one of these people that says multi-club ownership has to stop now, but there need to be ample restrictions put in place to limit the advantage that that brings. Otherwise, there'll be a select group of very rich people in the world that own a handful of clubs that dominate world football because they have brilliant infrastructures around them. And that will reduce the ability of some of the other clubs, some of the smaller clubs, some of the less wealthy clubs to be able to close those gaps. And that's what's beautiful about football. It's 11 men against 11 men. And we've seen so many... Um, shocks over the years, results that nobody saw coming. Because ultimately, once the game begins, it don't matter how much your squad is worth. It's men against men, 11 against 11. They go out on the pitch, they have a game of football. You know, something goes your way, you get the rub of the green and you could end up picking up a historic result. So I like that. I love that about football. It's one of the things that keeps football pure. If you allow this thing to, to develop further and it becomes, you know, even more monopolised than it is already, then you've got a big problem. 
And so while I'm not against the overall idea and concept of multi-club um, ownership models, I, I do think that we need to think long and hard about the restrictions that we put in place to limit the advantage that that gives those people and those football clubs. That's that's where I'm at um, on this. But yeah, thank you um, for tuning in and for bearing with me. As I say, short episode today. I am in the office. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow with another one. And uh, of course, we'll be bringing you a preview uh, of the Brentford game towards the end of the week. Sunday, we'll be back with our review of the Brentford game. And we've got lots and lots to get into. Make sure you leave a like on the video. Make sure you subscribe to the channel. If you're brand spanking new, uh, if you're listening on audio, please do leave us a review as well. And I'll see you guys all next time. Until then, take care of yourselves. Have a very, very Happy Wednesday. Goodbye.